0: Scriptural thought to it. Fellow so by the name of John W. Gardner, you may be familiar. a Number of years ago, he wrote a book entitled Excellence, and in that book, he talks about the ability and potential that we all have to make a difference in our own life. But eat. Gardner went on to found an organization called Common Cause to this end, and he illustrates this point that he makes by a true story of an old gentleman that invested his life in other people. And this fellow had a habit that when he met people, you know, instead of the conventional questions, when you meet someone, you say, well, what do you do? You know, in America, that means what's your occupation or profession or job or where are you from or, you know, things like that. This fellow would say, well, what have you done that you believe in and that you're proud of? Now, I've never had anybody ask me that before when they met me, but that's what this fellow would do. And Gardner says for some people, when he would ask that, the question was a little bit unnerving. He said for those whose self-worth was based on wealth or position or fame, it was actually a question that might have been somewhat unsettling or unnerving or awkward. But the old fellow said he got a lot of interesting answers through the years. He was delighted by one woman who answered, I'm doing a good job raising my three children. He asked this to a fellow that was a cabinet maker who responded, I believe in good workmanship and I practice it. And one lady said, I started a bookstore and it's the best bookstore for miles around. The old gentleman told Gardner, he said, I don't really care how they answer. I just want to put the thought in their minds. And then he added, they should live their lives in such a way they can have a good answer. Not a good answer for me, but for themselves. That's what's important. I like that story and the sentiment of it and the thought. But I might add a little caveat to that. That our answer ought to not just be a good answer of ourselves, But a good answer for God. A good answer that pleases God. But it is a thoughtful and a provoking idea. What are you doing? What are you engaged in? That you believe in? And that you're proud of? How would you answer that question? You know, a lot of people today... Lack focus in their lives, and they lack purpose. And they seem to somewhat drift through life in an aimless fashion, erratic and irresponsible. I like the words of Thomas Carlyle when he wrote, A man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder, a waft, a nothing, a no man. He goes on to say, Have purpose in life, and having it throws such strength and muscle into your work as God has given you. This morning, we introduced this biblical thought of what purpose should be about. And we talked about God's purpose for his people. To be a member of his family, to be a magnifier of God, to be a model of Christ's character, to be a minister to others, to be a messenger of his love. Those are biblical purposes that we spend our time this morning documenting from a scriptural standpoint. But the same thing i like for us to think about the power that is found in that purpose. And really that would be true of anyone that has purpose in life, regardless if we're talking about it in a secular sense or in a sacred sense. But if our purpose tonight, I'd like for us to piggyback on the things that we talked about this morning. And let me just share with you, if you weren't here this morning, I really encourage you to go on the online and to uh, listen to the lesson that we talked about and about those purposes that God wants for His people. But as we think about those from this morning's lesson, what power is there in having those as your purpose in life? Let's go back again to the Book of Ephesians, in chapter one and verse five, Paul said that God is predestined for us. Adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. This is a wonderful thought, isn't it? We talked this morning, just a moment, about being predestined, and it's not the individual person specifically that He predestined, but it is the group of people. In fact, it goes on down in verse 10 of chapter 1 to talk about He's chosen us to be one in Christ. And so it's the one body or the one family that God has predestined. But he has adopted us into his family. Isn't adoption a wonderful thought? That you decide that you want a child and you adopt a child and bring him into your family. And when you do that, they have all the privileges and the prerogatives that, that one can enjoy. That may even be naturally born into that family. Some of you may know this, but many of you probably don't. You know that we have two children, Kenny and Rochelle, and I mentioned last Sunday night that that, uh, both of them are expecting children again, so we're going to have, in a matter of a few months, four grandchildren, which is a very exciting thing. But a lot of people, when we posted the pictures of their first two boys, uh, Kenny's boy Miles and Rochelle's boy Roy, commented on how much alike they look and someone said you can sure tell their cousins and we'd always smile when they say that because what they didn't know is Rochelle's adopted and, but you know the the boys it's surprising they, they do look a lot alike or at least their baby pictures they, maybe all babies look alike I don't know but Rochelle's adopted and um, we'd had Kenny for I guess he was five when we adopted Rochelle we decided that we wanted a little girl and Norm, G and I talked about it. And we decided to go through the process of adoption. And you know, we don't really even think about it except when comments like that come along. Because she's our daughter. She, she, she wears our name. She, she's in our family. She's in our will. She, she has all the blessings and privileges that Kenny had. There's no difference. She's our child. And when God adopts us, into his family, we're his child, and that's his purpose. God purposed that according to his will. Verse 9, he says, Making known to us the mystery of his will, and he has made it known to us through the revelation, and Paul talks about that in chapter 3, according to his purpose, there's that word again, which he set forth in Christ. And so when we think about the purpose of God's people, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about being in a relationship with him, and he set it forth in him, and he's made it known. Not only Him, Jesus coming to this earth and role-modeling, for us what He wants us to be to draw near to God, but in the revelation He gave to the apostles. And then in verse 11, in Him we've obtained an inheritance, having predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We have an inheritance. We're in the will. We enjoy the blessings, and it's according to God's purpose. So I bring these verses out again tonight. To Just remind us of the idea of God has a purpose to us. And what I want to suggest tonight, that there is a power in understanding that purpose and imbibing that purpose and buying into that purpose and living according to that purpose. So I have seven things that I want to share with you tonight that speak to the power of purpose. One, purpose gives life meaning. It just, it just does. When you have a purpose in life, you have meaning to your life. Now, there are three different levels in which people in the world live. One level is a survival level, and this is the lowest level. Some people just get by. They just eke out, and I don't mean just financially eke out, although that's the case many times, but they just, they just get by in life. I mean, they, they may just live for the weekend. One summer when I was in college, I worked for a company, Bryant Heating and Cooling in Indianapolis. And I worked on a conversion assembly line, which I thought was a good job for a preacher to be involved in conversion. And I would convert air conditioners. No, that's that's what they called it, a conversion assembly line. And, and that I would take air conditioners. And I learned, and some of you that know that I'm not very handy with things, but they can teach you, see, to take and take a panel off of an air conditioner and there's a, there's a hollow space in there and put in a heating coil and t- teach you to put the red wire with the other red wire and the blue one and the green one and how to do that and then I learned how to do that and I'd stick it in there and put the panel back on, roll it down the assembly line and I just converted that air conditioner. Well, it was kind of a boring job that made me decide I knew I didn't want to work in a factory for 40 years, but it helped pay my way through college. But it also gave me a lot of interesting experiences of working with some of the most carnally-minded, worldly people you've ever seen in your life. And these were people, though they made a good paycheck, really, working in a factory. They were in survival mode. They lived for the weekend. And they lived for going out and getting drunk on the weekend or being engaged in extramarital affairs. I mean, for this preacher boy, 19 years old, it blew my mind i would never been around folks like that, but they were, they were in survival mode. They didn't have any purpose other than just getting by. Well, then there's a higher level of living and that's success. And that's where many of us are today. And by the world standards that, that we live a good life, a comfortable life. You have some possessions. You may enjoy some prestige or uh, have some pleasure. And and you you feel good about your life. You're at a successful level, and yet, as one fellow said to me one time, he said, "Can if I'm so successful, why don't I feel more fulfilled?" And so his purpose in life was all based upon the success. Materially or financially, or his occupation, profession, job, career, business, or whatever. And it was all about that. Kind of reminded me of the fellow that one time said that he had reached, uh, he had climbed the ladder of success, and when he got to the top, he realized it was leaning on the wrong wall. People, a lot of people are like that, and they don't feel very fulfilled. And that's the dark side, many times, in a lot of success books. But there's a level and we call this significance. And significance takes us to another level. It takes us from success to a level of understanding what our real mission in life is and purpose in life is, and from a spiritual standpoint, it helps us understand the about purpose and what it means to be adopted into God's family. What it to be predestined, what it means to have a spiritual mission, what it means to fulfill God's purpose in Jesus Christ. That gives us significance. Let me give you a Bible example. In Acts 13, verse 36, Luke wrote, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. I might do a whole sermon on this sometime this year. Because there's a lot, really, in that one verse. But let me just give you a little capsule of this. First of all, David served God's purpose. Now, you think back to the life of David, and he comes on the scene, and God is looking for a king. And you remember, Samuel goes uh, to the house of Jesse, and Jesse's boys come by, handsome, big, strapling young men. And none the of them are the one that is going to be anointed as the next king. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Well, I got this teenager. It's out in the field. He's tending my sheep. He said, call him in. And we know the story. David was the one. Now, no one else saw that coming. I'm sure David would sit there and think, well, I'm probably going to be the next king of Israel. I doubt that very seriously. That God had a purpose for David. And when God made that known to David, then David embraced that purpose. Well, then the next major thing we really look at in David's life is when he goes out to where his brothers are and camped in the battle against the Philistines. And you remember the story how the Goliath, giant, the the giant of the Philistines, who was a champion, came out, and for 40 days he gave this speech. And he was good at it. He had everybody scared. And he challenged Israel to send him a man. In fact, it's kind of, when you read that in, in Samuel, it's kind of sarcastic. He said, if there is a man in Israel, you know what that means. In other words, it's like, it's kind of, you know, and you can change this to other universities. It's kind of, you know what happened to the man-eating tiger on the University of Texas campus? He died. Well, if you've got to explain your jokes, I guess there's no use telling them. If some of you get it, okay, because there was no men. was no, men. See, I wouldn't dare tell that at College Station. Say, no, I wouldn't do that because there's men. There's men there. Okay. Now, I've just offended any uh, Texas grads we have here. Okay. But that's what Glath was saying. If there's a man in Israel, come out and fight me. And it's a winner-take-all battle. And if he wins, then Israel wins the war. And if I win, then the Philistines win. And no one would do it. You think back, you look at that account, and we've read it so many times, and our kids know the story. But I find it incredible that not one person had enough faith and courage to go out and fight him. Here's 17 year old David, the shepherd boy, and he hears the speech. He said, I'll fight him. Saul says, Well, you're just a youth. And David said, God's on my side. He said, I killed the lion, I killed the bear that tried to take my father's sheep. And he said, I'll, I'll bring him down. And here's what's kind of interesting. he said, I'm going to cut off his head. You read the text, it's there. And he goes out with a slingshot and picks up five stones. See, David began to understand that God had a purpose for him. And of course, he brings down Goliath. And then you look at what happens with Saul and how Saul became jealous of David. And yet what did David do? David just waited. You know when he writes in the Psalms about wait upon the Lord? That's what that's what David was doing. It wasn't his time yet. In fact, when Saul was killed, his life was taken. David was upset. Because they killed God's anointed. In fact, he had a chance one time. You remember to take Saul's life. He said, "I won't touch him because he's God's anointed." David understood his purpose in his time. I will accomplish what God wants. He served God's purpose in his own. That's significance, ladies and gentlemen. David understood his significance, and what I can learn from that is that whatever God has for me. In my time, and in my generation, I can serve God's purpose. And I don't think it's a mistake that Luke says, which we all know he fell asleep, but that means he died, and he was buried with his father's, his body decayed. You know, ooh, why do you have to say that? Maybe it's a reminder that your time is now. There's going to be a day that you're going to die, and you're going to be buried, and your body's going to decay. Too late then. Like David, you need to serve God's purpose in your generation. Now, today, not wishing for some future day or pining for some past day, but now. That's significance. Secondly, the power of purpose will reduce frustration. Boy, you know, we are frustrated by so many choices. Do we have a life? Sometimes Norman Jean asked me to stop at the grocery to pick up something. And uh, who was the comedian that talked about America is a great country, you know? Uh, I mean, you just, you just go in and you're just like, all these choices. You know, just to buy some, a can of beans or something. Like she wants me to get green beans. And there's French cut green beans and full green beans. Or these, these green beans and, and those greens. Now... Nor are our little opposite on this, nor I, I think if they cost more, they got to be better. And so I often will go, and she knows I'm like this. She said, Don't buy the most expensive green beans, go for the store brand. I said, Honey, but the Del Monte must be better. Or the Green Giant, they got to be better. But she says they're not. I, I don't know. you be the judge. But anyway, there's too many green beans. There's so many, ch- and I shoot with everything. It's just it's just unbelievable how many choices are. And we can get frustrated in life with a lot of choices. You know, television, you get cable. What have we got, 300 channels? You know, and I watch maybe half a dozen, maybe a dozen at the most. And there they are. What's while I scroll through them and I, well, I don't see anything interesting. I look, look all through them. No, I don't want to watch that. But there's all those choices, you see. Well, that can be frustrating. But when you know what you want and who you are and where you're going and your life has purpose to it, it reduces frustration. Just like when Norman sends me in a store and I know I'm getting store brand, I don't pay attention to all those other beans because I've been given marching orders, get store brand. I'll go right to that. I got it. I'm gone. I'm done. It's good. Well, when you know what you want spiritually and what you're doing, it reduces the frustration. James talks about the problem of indecision and what happens when you, you're, you're indecisive about things. James 1, and he talks about praying to God and asking for wisdom and how God will provide that. And he said, let him ask in faith for, for faith, verse 6, not doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord, and then he says this in verse eight: "For a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways." And that's right. An indecisive man, a double-minded man, is unstable in all his ways, and it's frustrating to be in that kind of a situation. If you know where you're going, if you know God's purpose for you, then you just draw a line in the sand. And that's what you engage yourself in. Isaiah said in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. And so keep your mind stayed on the Lord. And you will reduce this indecision, this double-mindedness, this frustration, this indecisiveness because you've got focus now and you have purpose. Not only that, The power of purpose increases motivation. You see, once you know why you're here and you have a purpose for living and a purpose for serving, you have more motivation. You have more energy. It was George Bernard Shaw that wrote, the true joy of living is being used up for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to make you happy. Now, I'm sure sure y'all didn't have in mind exactly what I'm talking about tonight, but you know, that's right. And I have thought that sometimes I see my brethren lose sight of their purpose and that we get caught up in incidentals. And we find ourselves being this selfish, feverish little clot of ailments and grievances and complaining. Don't do that. Stay focused on what God's purpose is all about. You know, some may feel a little bit like Job said at one point. As Job was trying to figure out what was going on in his life and the problems that he was facing. And in Job 7 and verse 6. And then down in 17, he said, my life drags by day after hopeless day. He said, I'm tired of living. My life makes no sense. Well, when you have no purpose, you have no motivation and no hope. To Jeremiah, the prophet, God said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and plans to give you hope in a future. Now, sometimes this verse is taken out of context. And this verse is talking, I know, specifically about what God has in store for Jeremiah. But he speaks of two things here for Jeremiah, hope and future. And I just suggest by way of application that God has plans for us because he has a purpose for us, and it's centered in Jesus Christ. And when we understand that and we buy into his purpose, then we have hope and we have a future. And when you have that, you've got enthusiasm. You've got motivation. You've got inspiration. In fact, you know the word enthusiasm? It's not a word that's actually found in the Bible. But it actually comes from a Greek word, entheos. You know that? It means God in us. And I, when I discovered that one time, I thought, wow. If there's any group of people that ought to be enthusiastic. Shouldn't it be Christians? You know, there's all kinds of secular success books on the market. One, I read many years, enthusiasm makes a difference. And I think it really does. But in theos, God in us, when we really tap in to the divine power, the divine nature that Peter said that we possess, then we have enthusiasm. Why? Because we have hope and we have a future. That's what... Mo, what's what purpose does for us. It increases our motivation. Not of that, it allows for greater concentration. We don't have time in life for everything. We have to be selective. You know, there's a lot of choices that are good choices. They're, they're not bad choices, they're good choices. And so we look at two good things and we may have to decide between the better and the best. You can't say yes to everything. But what we want to do is what God wants us to do. It was Peter Drucker that famously said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, that was written in a business book, and I'm sure that's excellent business advice that if you're pursuing a business goal and keep the main thing the main thing. That's true spiritually, though, that we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to be focused upon the purpose, and that brings tremendous ability for us as we are focused on that and have concentrated on what God wants to accomplish God's purpose. Mentioned this verse last week in our New Year's sermon, Philippians 3.13, where Paul said this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. Now, that's concentration. Have you ever watched, Usually, we don't watch track and field so much except at the Olympics, and then, you know, something that we, we don't see for four years, we watch it. But the next time you're watching uh, a, a track meet, and, and well, any, but especially the sprints, you know, in a long distance, you've got a little time to make up if you get off to a bad start. Our Kenny k- coaches cross country down in Florida College. And you know, one of the things he tries to teach the boys is to pace yourself. Sometimes you are not used to running an eight k. You take off too fast, you burn yourself out. So you got to take, you got to pace yourself. But when you are running one hundred meters, there is no pacing yourself. I mean, there is running flat out for the finish line. And you see these guys, and the cameras are, on them and they are. You can just tell, you know, how how they are, are concentrating. They are, they're focusing, just see it in their face and, and they get down on the starting box and, and they, they just, every fiber of their being is concentrating on, on that gun going off and then get, the and heading to the finish line. And you can see it as they come across the finish line, how they're straining, how they're reaching forward to that goal line. That's what Paul said, I'm doing. He said, I, I, I'm i concentrating on what's ahead. I got my eyes on the finish line. Why? Because he had purpose. He knew what his purpose was. And his purpose was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. You know, an example of that. Have you ever tried to do this? I'm, I'm sure some of you have done this in school. Where you get a magnifying glass or something that will magnify. I remember I had a class This way back in high school, so it's been a long time ago. But at a certain time of day, certain time of year, the sun would come through the window of the classroom. And so it was fun to take a magnifying glass and take that and then put it on someone's face. Now, you know what happens if you just hold that there for a while. Pretty soon they're going going like that. In fact, you can actually start a fire on a piece of paper. Why? Because it's... Concentrated on that one spot, mentally, emotionally, spiritually that 's what we need to do when it comes to our purpose that God has for us. Well, another thing that makes purpose so powerful it simplifies your life. You know the message of Ecclesiastes is a is a life lived daily. And this is a life that is better lived by each day understanding what your purpose is. And at different times, in fact, chapter 3, when he talks about your purpose, and there's different times and seasons in your life for things. And to understand that is your time now to focus on that purpose. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about the idea of life lived daily under the Son, that simplifies your life. Or you think about Jesus' treatise in Matthew chapter 6 on what is important in life. And, and, and to think about, you can't serve two masters because you, you're divided. You, you're going to love the one and hate the other, claim the one and despise the other. You can't serve God or man. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And he gives a lot of simple examples there, even of the burnts of the air. The lilies of the field. In all of this is to speak about our priorities in life and to simplify our lives to being focused on the purpose God has for us. And so what this does is that it separates the important from the urgent. Now, you know what's urgent, don't you? The phone rings, all right? A text message, an email. See those things. You know, people have had automobile accidents because they're riding along in their car and their their smartphone pings and they got to look at the phone. Don't do that. Okay, just a little parenthetical advice here, but don't do that. People have accidents doing that. But we look at things like that. Is is that you know these are they're not important really. It will wait. But a lot of people live their whole lives. By being controlled by the urgent. You know what's important? Listening to your kids. Having a conversation with your wife. Reading your Bible. Praying to God. Attending worship services. Focusing on what your purpose is. These are the things that are really important. And so when the power of purpose is that it separates the important from the urgent. It directs our activity. Think about this a second. When you're engaged in something, and especially something that you might somewhat consider a spiritual activity, you have, does this activity help me fulfill one of God's purposes for my life? And we talked about them this morning, so you've got, you've got them in your sermon notes, and so you look at those purposes. Does, does what I'm doing help me fulfill that purpose? You see, purpose helps you make decisions, allocate time, use resources, and ultimately it leads to glorifying God, and it will lead your life in a direction that really matters. It directs our activity. You know, I mentioned this this morning. Next Sunday morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to have four speakers. No, we're not going to go four hours, okay? Okay that each one of us, the three elders and myself, are going to speak. And we're going to talk about, we're going to unveil our theme for 2017. And then we're going to look at several facets of that theme. But as I looked at that, and I went over those notes again, it struck me how much they speak to purpose, in fact, There's going to be things that are going to be unveiled, specifics by the elders that fall under the category of all five of those areas we talked about this morning, But they're going to be directed. And they're going to give us some things next Sunday that will help direct our activity. Now, you know what else this does? It produces proper results. You see, a lot of people confuse activity with productivity. (laughs) God wants us to be active. But if we're just active for the sake of being active, and it's not directed activity, then it's not necessarily going to produce the proper results. You know, the Bible often uses the analogy, and Jesus did it more than once the analogy of sowing and reaping. He has more than one parable that talks about that. Paul uses the analogy of planting and watering. but But there's something that is consistent with these parables and analogies, and that's this something must be sown. Something must be sown now, I grew up in central Indiana on a farm, and I learned that you get out in the spring and and you 've got to, in fact in the fall, we actually started getting our ground ready that we would Dad would send me out on a tractor to disc up uh, you know the remnants of the crop, whether it was corn or soybeans or whatever and so we'd disk it up, and then in the spring we'd go out. And hook up the plow to the Ford tractor, and we'd plow the field, and most of the ground, I mean it, it, it needed it needed uh, disk again, so you'd take a disk and you'd go over the guys, so you're getting get the ground already, and all of that's well and good, and all that is important, and it's like, but suppose we never put any soybeans in the ground, Suppose we never put any corn in the ground. Come harvest time, there would be nothing to show for all the effort. Nothing. And I thought, spiritually speaking, we've got to be careful that we're not spending all of our time preparing the ground. That, that, that we're not out there disking and, and plowing and disking again and, and, and getting the ground smooth on all of these things, and nothing is ever planted. You, you've got to sow the seed to produce the proper results. The power of purpose helps us understand that very simple point. Number six, it keeps the eyes on the goal. Seneca said, when a man does not know what harbor he is making for, no wind is the right wind. Well, that's right, if you're sailing. And so you've got to know where you're going. You've got to know what your goal is. Again, we go to Philippians 3. Paul was understood the goal. He said, I press on. I press on toward the goal. When the prize, which God has called heaven, heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what a purpose does. That's the power of purpose that keep our eyes focused on what the ultimate goal is. And it leads me then to my point, it reap eternal rewards. It's good for us in the midst of a very secular society and in the midst of an economy that kind of goes back and forth and up and down like it has the past number of years and in the midst of maybe our jobs or professions or occupations or things that that we're doing that are important to our families and our lives to really make sure that we're living our life to leave a heavenly legacy. Now, I suppose that most of us would like to leave a legacy to our children. We'd like to leave something to our families or to a college or organization or something that we believe in. A financial or material legacy. and There's nothing wrong with that. But are we leaving a spiritual legacy, a heavenly legacy? Because you see the 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 achievements of this life are transitory. Now, intellectually, we all kind of know that, that one day we're going to die, we're going to leave all this behind. But, you know, a lot of times, even while we're still alive, those things, James Dobson tells kind of an interesting story that when he was in college, he uh, he set a goal to become the school's tennis champion. And he felt very proud that he had become the tennis champion, and he had a trophy designating that award, and they permanently displayed it in the trophy case there in the college. Well, many years later, I mean, after he'd even forgotten all about that, and he's James Dobson now, someone mailed him the trophy. And as he opened it up, they found this note in there, the trophy saying that the school had remodeled and the janitor had thrown the trophy and a bunch of others in the trash can. And they saw his name on it, knew, of course, knew Dr. Dobson over there, thought maybe he'd like to have it sent it to him. And so Jim said this, given enough time, all your trophies will be trashed by somebody else. <laughs> and that, that's about right, isn't it? I mean, that's just, that's just life. But isn't it wonderful to know that when your purpose is heavenward, that when your goals are spiritual, that you're laying up trophies and treasures in heaven, and that is going to last for an eternity? You see, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or evil. Well, if we stay focused on our purpose and we allow that purpose to work within us in a powerful way, as the Bible teaches, we can end up hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're using a book, you can go ahead and turn to the numbers suggested. I want to do a couple things things before, before next Sunday. One, I mentioned this morning, I'd like for you to look at those purposes we talked about and think about how you can apply this to your life. And then come prepared to take notes. We're not going to be able to do a lot of film. Come prepared to take some notes next Sunday morning. But also, spend a little time, and maybe maybe you've been real involved in setting New Year's goals and resolutions and looking at you know, the problem sometimes, though, that the new year comes in and we've been so busy with the holidays and then all of a sudden it's a new year and, uh, you know, there's football games to watch and a Christmas tree to take down and maybe a wedding to take care of or who knows what you've had going on in your life, a lot of things. And now we're into the year a week and you really haven't thought about those goals. So now maybe you can kind of clear your mind a little bit. And think about that and think about it in terms of purpose and think about where you're going. If you've ever lived on the coast, um, those of you that are from Houston, you've, I know you've seen this because this, they do this in Galveston. And we lived in Tampa Bay a number of years. And they have this. They have cruises. Oh, yeah. They go to the Bahamas. They go to the Caribbean. They go to Aruba. Yeah, they do. But, you know, they have a cruise to nowhere. Did you ever see that down in Galveston, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it's since you've left home. Anybody ever seen the cruise to nowhere? You think I'm making this up, don't you? You Google it. They have them. You say, well, how could it be a cruise to nowhere? Well, here's what you do. You go down to the port, to the pier. You, you get on the cruise ship. Instead of setting sail for some lush island in some exotic location, the ship just goes out into the ocean, for a day or two, and it just goes around in circles. Now, you got all the amenities on the ship. You have great food. <laughs> if you've been on a cruise, you know about, you eat like 17 times a day. It's great, it's just incredible. And and there's shows, and there's, there's, there's all kinds of activities. We were on an Alaskan cruise in the fall, and I got him. and we still look around. And I said, Look, Norma, there's a basketball goal. I can play basketball on the cruise ship. I said, Take take my picture shooting some baskets here on the cruise ship. I, I just thought that was kind of amazing. And they got, so they got everything anymore. And they, so you get on, and you do all these things, but there's no destination. You just go around in a circle, and then you come back to port, and you get back home. And you, someone says, "Where you been?" You go nowhere. What'd you see? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, you, you're out in the middle of the water. But you know, a lot of people live their lives like that. They're on a cruise to nowhere. They're ju- they're just out on the sea of life, around in circles. Oh, they're eating, they're drinking, they're they're playing games, they're having fun, they're watching shows, they're having a big time. That they're on the cruise to nowhere because they don't have purpose. Hey, if you've been on a cruise to nowhere, get off. Get on God's ship. It's going somewhere. It's got a destination. It's got purpose. And get focused on what is on the horizon spiritually. You sure have listened good tonight. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope our thoughts today as we've thought about purpose will give you purpose and be helpful. As we close, we sing a song that Richard has selected, a song of invitation and encouragement, a song that calls you to the purpose of Jesus Christ, to come to him and to be his disciple. If We can serve you in any way closer to God and to reach that heavenly home. We invite you to come as we stand while we sing.
1: Judgment Day There's a bright day coming, a bright day coming, there's a bright day coming by and by but its brightness shall only
2: Well, I'm not sure if anyone can build anticipation more than Ken Welliver. <laughs> uh, we are anticipating uh, next Sunday, and uh, we certainly look forward to uh, uh, having the joint uh, presentation together uh, during our worship hour next, next Lord's Day. We, we bid you come back at that time. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting day for all of us to, to focus on these things. Uh, thank you, Ken, for the work you've done the last couple of weeks in preparation for that. Uh, I have just a, a few announcements to make before we 're dismiss tonight. I uh, wanted to let you know about uh, Tricia jackson uh, she has she is now beginning to recover after passing her kidney stone this past th- uh, this past thursday so let 's give God thanks for that. Uh, Rena and Steve Palmer are at home ill uh, this week and struggling with uh, various ailments also let 's remember uh, Caroline Canis and her parents as they deal with the uh, the seeming very uh, certainty that their daughter will be passing away soon from the progressive cancer. Also, let's remember our brother Kevin Carlisle, as he's been struggling this week with some medical issues as well. Pray for him. Check in on him. Uh, Sandra Fritchie, uh, I don't see her tonight. Oh, is she here? There you are. Wow. Um, Yeah, We we were uh, praying for you this morning and talking about you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Shirley Sigler, I don't know if she's here tonight. I, I don't think I saw her. Uh, She is still struggling with some leg pain, um, and she's becoming somewhat discouraged by that uh, as it's posing her some physical limitations. Uh, Let's remember Lua Pendleton, uh, Linda Ramey's friend, who is in in serious condition there in San Antonio. If there are other uh, conditions or things that you need, prayers uh, made on your behalf, please let me know, and we'll make those known at our next meeting time. A few other special announcements. Let's not forget that uh, member care group number one, uh, meets, uh, after services tonight in the first room there to the left. And also there will be an elder deacon meeting following that member care meeting tonight. Uh, I had some, uh, really good news to share with you this, uh, afternoon, uh, Stuart and Donna Kaufman, uh, that their family has decided to, uh, join our work here. Uh, we met with the elders this afternoon. We're so pleased about that. Uh, Cassidy is here tonight, although she's a, a student at Florida college. So we'll probably just see her whenever she's back at home, uh, visiting, uh, but we're sure happy to have her and their son Caleb is here as well and so we're so pleased to have y'all with us we're looking forward to you all um, making yourselves an active part of the work here uh, looking forward to working together with you if you haven't met uh, the Kauffmans, uh they're sitting kind of behind the Farquhar's a few rows back um, they uh, Stuart is also uh, Ellen's son and so I'm sure she's pleased to have them here as well uh, it's always fun to have family together worshiping together uh, if there are no other announcements uh, to be made, let's all stand together and let's sing a closing song and then be dismissed in a word of prayer by Brother Braden Slaybaugh.
1: We'll sing all three verses of number 24, For the Beauty of the Earth. <clears throat> no, for the beauty of the Pray, our Lord God Most Righteous and Wonderful Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this another Lord's Day. We can gather together with people of like faith and mind to study from your Word and to worship you, Lord. We ask at this time, Lord, that you be with those mentioned, whatever they, their needs may be, and allow their needs to be met, Lord. We thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son on the cross so we sinners may have a hope of eternal home in heaven with you when this life on earth is over. We ask that you grant us safety as we leave here tonight and go about our lives through the coming weeks, Lord. We ask that you help us to fully understand our purpose, Lord, and to strive to serve and honor you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.